1: After a lively international break, club football is back with a bang. Marquee matchups galore in Serie A, a Catalan derby for two returning Barca legends, a fresh managerial start for three Premier League teams, the beginning of the MLSF playoffs, NWSF Championship Saturday, and that's just for starters. It's the Weekend Preview, and I'm joined by Heath Pierce, James Bench, Jonathan Johnson, Diego Lasso. Weekend Preview begins right now. Welcome to Kegolaso Weekend Preview. We hope you are enjoying your day, evening, afternoon, wherever you are. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave Kegolaso rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it helps us to continue to make free episodes like this one. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. You know the drill. Like the video, leave a comment, and hit subscribe. And you can and should. Follow us on Twitter, Que Golazo Pod. Weekend preview, domestic competition is back. Heath Pierce, thank you so much for everything you did during the international break with Jimmy Conrad and the USMNT. How are you feeling, my friend? What a window.
2: Yeah, it was a great window. Obviously not the best for the US, but so much chaos with Mexico, US, Canada now sitting top of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Also great to see Mikel Antonio as a segue back to this weekend preview. Mikel Antonio doing well in CONCACAF, getting his first goal Uh, And in a substitute appearance, Uh, beautiful one from the half line and then a second one just hitting an absolute banger that has everybody confused as to whether or not Zach Steffen could have saved it. But unbelievable to see him and see Jamaica starting to rise might be too little too late. But yeah, an amazing
3: window overall. Thank you.
1: Yeah, nobody's saving that. James Benj, uh, San Marino done, Albania done, England in the World Cup.
3: Yeah, teach that, that lot, that San Marino lot, a lesson about football. I eh? teach them how it's properly played. <laughs> so mean. I mean, it was, what a, what a, from a European perspective or an English perspective, what a waste of a few days, um, but at least no one got out, got out of it injured. And we had some, we had some drama elsewhere because England now not purveyors of ironic uh, collapses and, and destruction. We now leave that to the other teams. It's a great change.
1: Speaking of other teams, France as well are in the World Cup, but we knew that already. Jonathan Johnson, uh, how did you enjoy this window?
3: Well, I was actually treated to
4: some enjoyable football at Parc des Princes for once. Uh, You know, France absolutely desecrating uh, Kazakhstan. Kylian Mbappe on top of his game. Uh, the game against Finland wasn't as uh, exciting, wasn't as entertaining, wasn't as goal-filled, obviously. Uh, you know, but France got the job done. They were already assured of their birth in Qatar before they traveled to Scandinavia. Uh, and all the more interesting, considering that Kingsley Coman now seems to be established as France's right wing-back, which could solve a very problematic position for them. So no, all in all, quite uh, quite a constructive international break for the French.
1: Absolutely. Very interesting. I, by the way, nearly had eight heart attacks watching Peru this uh, international window. But let's move on and let's talk about domestic competition. And we begin, of course, in the Premier League. If you were sleeping throughout this whole window, a lot of things happened, by the way, during the break. But let's begin with the action that's coming ahead. Liverpool against Arsenal. Massive match in the Premier League. Liverpool fourth. Arsenal fifth. Everything is very tight as they look up to climb that table. Let's begin with James Benj, by the way. And if you're listening to this or watching this on Friday, some really good stuff on CBSSports.com. James Bench, I will let you fill in. But how are you feeling?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm feeling kind of intrigued. I think, um, you know, I've written a very big, even by my standards, inc- exceedingly lengthy piece on our. How many words, James? How many words? Well, I mean, as we speak, I haven't actually finished uh, uh, it, and uh, it's uh, around... 2000 already, maybe um, yeah, we've gone deep because Arsenal are such a hard team to get a, a grasp on. Were you this committed
4: at university
3: with essays? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I, just, I mean, you know, you they just, were just all about
4: Arsenal. That's the thing. Hey, hold up before
1: James Bench continues. He went to Oxford, my friend. All right, so we, we need to know that for, uh, straight up right now. Go ahead, James Bench, please continue.
3: Yeah, I, I was frequently over word count, but mostly because I was writing my essays late at night with a glass of red wine. So um, it, it became a bit.
1: <laughs> Which hasn't changed, I think. Uh, <laughs> Indeed.
3: Still filing my copy like that this morning. But um, it, 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 they're a really odd team to put, put your finger on. Because as you say, Luis, fifth, it's been a great run of games, 10 games undefeated. I think that's Arteta's longest unbeaten run in charge of Arsenal. And yet, the you know the sort of some of the underlying numbers behind this Arsenal team they look kind of underwhelming in terms of xG difference. They're 13th in the league. You know their attack is not that special. Their defense has given up a lot of chances. And when you talk about this stuff to Arsenal fans, they understandably say, "Oh yeah, but those first three games it was like a different team." It's true. You know there was no Aubameyang, there was no uh, there was no Partey, there was no Gabriel and Ben White, no Ramsdale. It's a really different team. But this different team still kind of seems like. It's not quite, it's certainly not the sort of throwing machine of Liverpool who looked like a team that could go and win the title or win the Champions League or both. I think this is going to be a great test for Arsenal. And where they're really at is even if they do lose, I mean, for once Arteta can maybe lose a game and it not let, turn into a, a great debate about his job and Arsenal fan TV memes and the like. So Arsenal are in a good place. I just don't know how good. And I may be hoping this game might might tell myself and Heath some good news, maybe.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm sitting on the fence on this one too. A draw looks really enticing to me. I think that was a plus three twenty five or plus three fifty that we had up there, Des Um, in terms of in terms of the betting odds on this one, a win looks really delightful for for a plus three sixty is the draw. A win looks delightful at plus five hundred something. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, three wins in a row to go on to that uh, ten games unbeaten that that Benji mentioned, and so. I like I like the way that this team competes. I like the youthful side of this team. A number of these players getting called up to international duty still in their early 20s now coming back. But the only chance you really got is uh, you know Sadio Mane had a little bit of a scare with with uh, with uh, at international duty some injuries. Uh, Henderson, Milner, Naby Keita. It gives us a little bit of a balancing act. I still think that uh, Firmino
1: as well. Yeah, yeah
2: Firmino as well. I I think that there's still an opportunity for for Arsenal uh to con- to to get something out of this Liverpool side defensively i think Liverpool are are vulnerable at times still not the best that we expect
4: of this Liverpool side but overall i think uh benji ha- uh, well said there yeah i definitely agree i mean i think arsenal made a stronger stuff uh, this season compared to to recent campaigns not that i measure uh, arsenal's strength on their performances against villa but i remember them in the last couple of seasons sort of you know rolling over once villa showed a bit of resistance and you know that arsenal are, are gone they you know they look tougher they're you know they're finally uh, you know starting to to find themselves uh under Mikel Arteta uh, and like Ben said you know I, re- I, I do also hope that it's finally an end to all of this speculation surrounding Arteta because it was getting uh you know very uh, very tiring and okay you know Arsenal could go on to lose against Liverpool Liverpool despite a number of probable injury absences still very very strong uh but also at the same time you know I think that Arsenal are much better equipped now uh you know than in recent seasons to to get a result here and if they can profit from some of those absences, uh, you know, I I don't think that a a draw would be viewed as a a bad result
1: here. It would not be a bad result. This is a big game, by the way, 12.30 Saturday, uh, Eastern, 12.30 Eastern. Uh, Liverpool have won their last five home Premier League matches against Arsenal. But as you mentioned, JJ, and everybody else as well, this is a different Arsenal side. So my question returns to you, James Benj, and then Heath and JJ, you can feel free to Add as well, but how confident do you think the Arsenal fan base is? I know that that's kind of a very fickle question, but how confident do you think they are given the recent record and the unbeaten run heading into not just playing Liverpool, but playing Liverpool at Anfield, which is always tricky?
3: So I have to promise to not continually lever this in, but um, I was sat in an interview that uh, our good friend, Lucho Garcia did with Cesc Fabregas last week. And I think by the time this podcast, out, stuff. that'll be amazing live on this site um, and, and possibly available elsewhere. And you can watch some of it on, on HQ as well. And I think w- one thing that, that struck me was he said that Arsenal fans are a bit more realistic than, than maybe the world sees on the internet. You know, he knows the match going the Emirates faithful I think they understand that maybe they might not, you know, they may just lose this game. But, you know, there's progress. There's a long term plan here and that maybe a a 2-1 defeat or even a 3-1 defeat if you play well. There's no shame in that. Liverpool are a better team. You know, I mean, if we're doing predictions, I still think Liverpool will win this. I just think Arsenal will make it a little bit harder than they maybe have done in past years. And, you know. There are angry Arsenal fans who say that's not good enough, and it's not because this is Arsenal, one of the biggest teams in England. But it's progress; it's a move in the right direction. So, yeah, I think it'll be a tough game, and Arsenal probably won't win it, but they might look a bit better.
2: Yeah, I look at this. I look at these moments as as you look beyond this and you say, who is Arsenal playing next?" and you start to judge Arteta and the team based on these two match blocks where you can look past this one. Okay, as Benj mentioned, if if they're going to play well, if they're going to compete, but ultimately get beat by a better team. You can live with that should you be able to bounce back. But when you look at it in those two win, two game blocks, you start to say, okay, you can, you can wash this one away based on the current form. They couldn't be perfect forever. Now, will they bounce back in their next match to be able to get a result, get three points, and continue this progress forward? I think that's the way at least uh, fans that I've been speaking to kind of look at these types of opportunities is how they compete in this, whether they win or lose,
4: and then how they respond to this is how, ultimately how it's defined. You know, the other thing that I think is really interesting as well is looking at Liverpool coming into this one based on the fact that they got beaten by West Ham last time out. You know, there were some weaknesses in Liverpool's game exposed then, Uh, you know, and I think that that's something that's really got to give Arsenal some heart, you know, and I think there should be a bit more optimism coming into this match because as... As good as Liverpool have been uh, this season so far, and we've talked about it a couple of times in previous podcast episodes, uh, you know they do look revitalised, like they've got a second window under Jurgen Klopp. But it doesn't mean that their performances have been perfect. You know they still leave themselves fairly open at the back, and uh, you know, on a team like Arsenal with the attacking quality that they have uh, on their day, when everyone's tuned in and singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, I definitely think that, that the Gunners could uh, could cause Liverpool some problems.
1: Well, and listen, Arsenal, if they win this, they will go above Liverpool, which is quite a statement given the fact that, you know, of the things, as you mentioned, JJ, a few months ago with Mikel Arteta's criticism, et cetera. If Liverpool do win, uh, and obviously results go their way above them, they will go second. But let's move on. Uh, that, By the way, that's Saturday, 12.30 Eastern, but let's stay on Saturday because there's a lot of narratives here, by the way. Three new managers with three teams here. And by the way, you know, the English uh, return of English managerial talent returns. The first one, of course, Aston Villa against Brighton. Steven Gerrard leaves Rangers. He is Aston Villa's new manager. If, by the way, you get a chance, go watch myself, Jonathan Johnson, and Kevin Egan as well uh, talking about this, reacting to Steven Gerrard's arrival to Aston Villa as well as Eddie Howe as well now. He's the manager of Newcastle as they face Brentford. And Dean Smith, God bless you, Dean Smith, as he has the shortest uh, application for unemployment ever as he goes and manages Norwich as they face Southampton. Jonathan Johnson, uh, obviously, uh, you, you said a, a few great things here in our, in our little chat with Kevin Egan, but why don't we start with the Villa fan here? Jonathan, just very quickly, uh, obviously, Stephen Gerrard, as we tape... had his first official press conference with Aston Villa. We've been very impressed with him. Everything that he's been saying, uh, everything that he's pointing to, but words are just words. At the end of the day is what we see on the pitch. Give me just uh, some reactions uh, to Steven Gerrard being Aston Villa's new manager.
4: (laughs) I mean he's been very impressive so far everything that he said uh, whether it was in the official interview with the club when he arrived on his first day for training at Bodymore Heath or whether it was in his uh, press conference unveiling alongside Christian Perslow Uh, you know he's saying all the right things at the moment however I think that was to be expected uh you know people who have sort of followed his journey with rangers have said that he is a very good orator uh, you know handles the media very well so so far i think it's fair to say that he's talking the talk and you know we're gonna have to wait and see this weekend if he can start walking the walk because if villa can start performing as well on the pitch uh, as he's talking in some of these uh first few outings in front of the press then I think I can feel, uh, you know, very, very confident. And obviously, you know, they need that injection of confidence, that new energy to be revitalised uh, after what was quite a demoralising run of five straight defeats under Dean Smith.
3: I I think this is a harder job than it looks. And Gerard's work at Rangers was outstanding, you know, turned this team into a, a team that really believed it could win the titles against Celtic and obviously ended Celtic's winning run. But when you look at the collection of players that, that they, they put together to replace Jack Grealish, as impressive as it it looks on paper, and there's some statement signings there, I still don't understand how you build it into a cohesive attack. And obviously, this is what Dean Smith kind of struggled with at the end. It didn't help that Leon Bailey was injured, but you couldn't actually see any way into the side for him if they carried on with the back three. Because Ollie Watkins is, is a central striker. I mean, he can play wide, but as Smith said, he's not really good at doing that. Danny Ings is also a central striker. And I think a few Southampton fans I speak to are kind of glad that it's Villa that now have to manage his decline. Buendia, yeah, you can you can tell me he could play as a number 10, but it's not where he played for Norwich. And and then you've got a sort of another winger. So how are you going to do this? Is it a 4-4-2? I mean, that's going to be a really attack-minded approach from from Gerrard. And he's got to work this all out very quickly because... There won't be, you know, there won't be much patience and much time. This is not a, a, a team that can envisage getting relegated. You know, if you look at the job that Dean Smith has taken, for instance, he will have time. You know, if he takes Norwich down, fine. He'll be trusted to bring them back up. I suspect Gerard is, you know, diving in at the deep end. A tough job. A huge team with really great expectations, and possibly not the squad. I think you know the attack to deliver on those expectations.
2: Yeah, when I look at a, a game that you want to sort of put your stamp in and or, and get that response from the team. You want to make sure that you're defensively very, very sound. Obviously, in a matchup like this, you're missing. You're likely without Danny Ings, likely without Douglas Louise. You just, some of that spine of the team that you want to rely upon during difficult moments, I think is, could come back to haunt them because you just want to have that stability that that just something that you can go back to and things aren't going bad. You go, some whether it's in a halftime or whatever, you want to just have some of those and put those injury doubts. It's really hard and it can set this, almost precedent of of, of lack of confidence that things are still not going your way. When you're a manager, you kind of want to have a fresh start. Very rarely do you step into an environment like this, uh, especially after five defeats. You can get that response from an attitude standpoint, but you still want your quality players on the field.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to go too much into this. Uh, Obviously, there's a big video, uh, as I mentioned, that really goes into Steven Gerrard's, you know, responsibilities and just the task that he has to do at Villa. I'm cautiously optimistic, mainly because I see not just the words that Steven Gerrard has said, but also the things that he did at Rangers. Of course, it's a, it's a young career in him, but, you know, to sort of uh, dethrone Celtic after such a long period, to do it in an undefeated fashion and to do it in a style of a 4-3-3, possession-based, high-press, confidence. He's a man that just wants to instill confidence again. But there is massive, massive issues, of course. Uh, James Mench mentioned them, of course, you know, replacing arguably our most important player of the morning era in Jack Grealish is not going to be easy. By the way, Dean Smith's obstacles were ma- massive, because these new signings, by the way, had literally like about twenty-five minutes together on, on the pitch throughout the whole time. And now, obviously, they're returning from uh, international break, etc. Having said all that, I do believe that there is a squad here that can work, and I think Stephen Jared can hopefully make it happen. JJ, final thoughts on Jared, because we do move on and we do want to talk a little bit more about. Uh, our beloved Dean Smith and Eddie Howe, because he has a job within him. If we think uh, the Villa job is going to be tough, you know, there's there to be spoken. But JJ, any final words here?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I take uh, everybody's points, but I also think that Gerard is walking into, you know, what is essentially quite a positive position because he's walking into a Villa. We said this on the podcast, he'll never have known what Villa were like with Jack Greenish, whereas Dean Smith will know what Villa are missing having, you know, being able to rely on Jack Grealish for so long. And I also think another, another point, you know, Perhaps Gerard not having some of the, the, the key members of the squad, especially the, 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 the team that's, uh, you know, been losing the five games on the trot at the moment is not such a bad thing because it enables him to bring in some other players who are perhaps on the fringes. I'm thinking of the likes of Morgan Sanson, uh, you know, guys who haven't really had a chance to show what they can do yet for Villa. So I'm keen to see if Gerard starts thinking outside the box, trying some new ideas because, you know, really what was the point in changing the coach if he's just going to be putting out exactly the same team that Dean Smith was doing?
1: Yeah, and Trezeguet is back, by the way. Woohoo! All right, listen, uh, let's move on now. Let's focus a little bit more on Dean Smith and Eddie Howe, I guess, at the same time, because obviously Norwich are bottom of the table, Newcastle are 19th. Uh, You know, there are definitely (laughs) uh, bigger mountains to climb over here. How do you feel, James Bench, about, you know, Dean Smith, you did touch on it. I would love you to, to expand, I guess, and then Heath and JJ to add, but how do you see Dean Smith's role right now as he enters this Norwich side and I guess as well, how it relates to, you know, the teams that's directly above them, Newcastle and Eddie Howe. I mean,
3: I can't, I, it is hard to say much interesting about Norwich. I think they're a better team than the way they performed under, under Daniel Farker. But, and, and they didn't, you know, the recruitment was ambitious, but it was maybe ambitious for the third go at the Premier League. I think that, you know, it does, it feels like appointing Dean Smith is saying we want someone to get us out of the championship next season. And I know that Stuart Webb has been, pretty forceful at saying, look, you know, we didn't come up just to plan to go straight back down anyway. But I do think if you're, if you're appointing Dean Smith, who is a fantastic manager, but clearly his, his track record for success has really been in the championship. I mean, Eddie Howe for me is the, is a fascinating appointment. Because this is a manager that, that did superb work at Bournemouth, instilling a culture, building for the long term. And he has a matter of weeks at Newcastle. You know, there is obviously the January transfer window looms large as the moment to fix this squad. But you have a manager that was kind of never really known for building very defensively solid teams. Bournemouth came up and scored a lot of goals and conceded a lot of goals in the Premier League and and they're a great addition to the league but they, they were not what Newcastle need to be which is a team that can keep clean sheets obviously he's reuniting with Callum uh Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser we know how well that partnership works but this feels like a huge gamble for both parties we know that Howe wasn't the first choice um we know he probably wasn't even the second or third choice um I mean there's it depends who you ask on that board from what i've heard you got to you,
2: you got to assume that there was there was some sort of open conversation about being part of this project right like inch this thing forward in the right direction cuz we really need help we need to stay up we need you to do a few of these things i mean uh, I would be shocked if it was just sort of this. Hey, this is our third or fourth or fifth choice, but we're going to go with it anyway, with the money or the. Well, what do you think, and then? You
1: know? What do you think of Eddie Howe's appointment in Newcastle? Because the other thing that we haven't discussed as well is that Eddie Howe is an absolute glutton for making sure that he develops young talent and he makes them the stars. That's not Newcastle United. I mean, they have young players, but they rely tremendously on yeah. aging experienced talent. So, how do you see this Eddie Howe appointment?
2: It doesn't. It doesn't go uh, La Masia, Man City, and the Newcastle in terms of academy. <laughs>
3: academy. I don't uh, think
1: that's, don't it, think that's it, the power it, rankings. It, no, it, no, it,
2: it's not.
3: Can no, I just uh, can I just jump in? Or jump in on that. It really, really should go and look at the England squad and how much of it comes from the northeast.
1: You know, you've got no, players that, like. I number. mean that's, yeah. a, that's a valid point. But when we they never at play for Newcastle's yeah. academy because exactly. their academy is exactly. rubbish. That's yeah. my point. Yeah, go ahead, Heath. No, I mean
2: honestly, for for with regard to Eddie Howe, I, I look at just this upcoming match and the fact that you're playing against a Brentford team that lost to Norwich and have That's literally a quarter of their squad available to for this match. And when when I think about just setting the precedent of moving forward, that certainly helps just to go and get a result, right? Win the respect of the fans, you win the respect of your players. You put out a, a good roster. You're playing against a de- de- depleted team in Brentford who who who. Earlier on in the season, looked like they were going to disrupt things constantly, uh, and and have sort of fallen off. So you've kind of got this a little bit of this injured animal that that I think uh, you can you can get your points and get a, almost get a little bit of clout on on that side. Again, I'm I'm not sure. I don't think he's the right option long term. You can't come out with this ambition and talk about so- sovereign funds and being some sort of huge thing, uh, and then appoint Eddie Howe. That's just unless there's some sort of hey, you're going to get us to the you know we're kind of running a four by four relay here. You're going to do the first hundred meters of this relay and then you're going to have to hand this thing off uh but but i think a lot of that comes down to as Benj mentioned this this upcoming transfer window is he the guy that's going to bring in the right players are they giving him a budget that's going to uh, uh be appropriate to the ambition that they have or is it going to be a stay in the premier league for a year uh budget and then we'll go out there and start writing fat checks that's going to change the whole dynamic of
4: this club whether for the better or for the worse but at least they're still in the premier league you know, what I like about this uh, discussion is it's actually alluding to the bigger issue that Newcastle have right now. And that's that there's nobody really leading the the sporting project. Uh, and it, it it shows us just how chaotic the first few weeks have been at St. James's Park, because there is no sporting director or director of football in place to shape all of this. They already went for one manager or candidate that didn't work out. So they've gone for somebody else. Uh, you know, very uh, unfortunate for for Eddie Howe to have to be dealing with that, knowing that he wasn't the first uh, one appointed. But a very good opportunity for him to score some early points uh, in a match like this, coming up against Brentford, when you know the the odds are perhaps stacked slightly in their favour, given the, the the squad availability situation. But I think that Newcastle at this moment in time, it's crucial who they get in next uh, to to shape their transfer policy, because you guys are right. January is going to be make or break for them because if they don't uh, pull off a successful transfer window, it's very difficult to see them staying in the premier league this season, regardless of all of the the financial clout that they have behind them.
1: Yeah. And by the way, like, you know, these January transfers, who's to say that that transfer target himself wants to even join Newcastle and, and, and be part of, you know, quite a struggling journey. I'm going to do a quickly round five prediction round on, on these matches with these new managers on what you think the score is going to be. You don't need to explain it to me. Why? Just give me the score. OK, so we'll begin, obviously, uh, with uh, Villa, Newcastle and then Norwich. OK, I'll go first with Heath Pearce, uh, and then Bench and then JJ. Aston Villa, Brighton, Heath Pierce.
4: I'm going to Aston Villa
1: 1-0. James Bench.
4: Aston Villa 1-0. <laughs> Jonathan Johnson. Yeah, Villa, Villa to win, I'm going to be a bit more optimistic. 2-1.
1: Yeah, I'm going 3-1. Screw all of you. All right, is here we go. More New- op- is
2: 2-1 more optimistic? <laughs> well, 2-1. Oh, yeah, 2, goals. two, two goals. <laughs> but they're giving up one. I'm a defender. That's I see like that, a I see that of as a negative. I see that as a negative. We've scored this season yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, Newcastle, Brentford, Heath Beers.
2: Uh Newcastle 2-0 convincing win, guys. Let's go. Eddie Howe. James Bench. Uh, Brentford 2-0 Ivan
3: Tony
1: oh, against
3: this boy. Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jonathan Johnson at Newcastle Brentford.
3: I'm going for 1-1.
1: Yeah, I'm going exactly the same thing, but I want an Ivan Tony goal for my fantasy. All right. Norwich, Southampton, Heath Pierce.
4: God, I did not
2: want to answer this one. Uh uh Southampton 1-0. Or <sighs> no, I'm gonna say Southampton
1: 2-1. James
4: Bench. Uh, Southampton 3-0. Oh
1: my god. JJ. Hmm.
4: Yeah, I'm feeling a Southampton 2-1.
1: Oh, my God. i got to give some love for Dean Smith. I'll go with a draw. One <laughs> oh, all. my
4: gosh. No, they're, they're atrocious. <laughs> all right. Des Norris. Luis, Luis Miguel and his bleeding heart. <laughs> <I know.
1: laughs> it's already melted, I think. All right. Let's move on to the remaining fixtures. Des Norris, if you can throw them up on the screen as the Premier League returns. Leicester against Chelsea, by the way, Brendan Rodgers, firing off in this press conference, saying, look, enough about these Manchester United uh, rumors. I'm done with it. Well, they're going to keep happening. It's the Premier League, Brendan. Sorry. Leicester against Chelsea. Bill Bryant. We mentioned Burnley against Crystal Palace. Newcastle, Brentford. We mentioned Norris, Southampton. We mentioned Watford at home to Manchester United. Wolves and West Ham. Liverpool and Arsenal finishes Saturday. And on Sunday, Man City against Everton. Tottenham against Leeds. Any thoughts from any of that? Very quickly before we move on. James Bench,
3: I mean, I, I think we all sort of think that the Watford-Man United game is going to be three points in the bag for um, for Manchester United. I thought you were going what to say I
0: mean,
3: Ranieri. <laughs> it could well be. I would say Watford are a he- you know, go and ask any Arsenal player. They're a hellish team to play against. They, will, you know, under Ranieri, they will kick you. They will knock it long. They will do everything they can to annoy you and really ruin your game. Um, I don't think this is, is in the bag as we think, you know, deep low block challenge man united to break them down it could be 4-0 man united but i think this could be a really tough game for them
1: depends on the vibes right yeah
3: you know you know what i'm looking at that spurs leeds game as well and i'm wondering exactly what
4: antonio conte would have been able to do with some of his spurs players over the international break and how Mm. it will result in an improved performance that's the one that i'm going to be looking at this weekend
2: yeah, for me, I'm, I'm just looking at Man City, Everton. I think there's an obviously obviously Everton having, again, a depleted roster. This is that time of year where you start to see, uh, you know, in the injury reports, just names starting to pile up. But Manchester City still not having an, an easy go in the Premier League as they're trying to sort of regain some of the form that we've seen of the past. They've, they've looked a little bit more vulnerable and inconsistent. And this is one that, you know, perhaps they could give up points to Everton.
1: Absolutely. And that's the Premier League as uh, domestic competition returns. We're going to take a quick break, Uh, by the way. When we come back, Danny Elvis and his flip-flops are back as Barcelona look to rejuvenate themselves under the great Xavi Hernandez. Que golazo weekend preview. We'll be right back.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to our weekend preview. Heath Pierce, James Bench, Jonathan Johnson, as we discuss now the rest of Europe and beyond. Barcelona have Shabby Hernandez as their manager. Unbelievable. Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern, Danny Alves is back. Uh, talk about vibes. Danny Alves is pure vibes uh, as he returns to Barca as they face Espanol and the Catalan Derby. By the way, Barca have won their last 11 Camp Nou meetings versus Espanyol, but this is a different type of Barcelona. It's a little broken. We will see if Xavi and being at home will help them in La Liga. Jonathan Johnson, let's begin with you. How do you see this Barcelona side now? Danny Alves is back, but Xavi Hernandez, their manager. Do you expect an immediate response and a win for Barcelona or will it be tricky?
4: I mean, is Dani Alves going back to camp now really something that should be celebrated at this stage of his career? I mean, personally, I thought his legs were going while he was still in Paris. I was happy for him to see that he was able to continue enough to win in the Olympics with Brazil in the summer. But being completely honest with you, I mean, OK, I understand that it's not going to be exactly the most lucrative contract that he's on because of the limitations on Barca. But I don't really see what he's actually going to bring on the pitch uh, at this age. I think it, it's more to have him in the dressing room. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps that's uh, that, that's Xavi looking to, uh, you know, try to recreate the good atmosphere in the dressing room from when he was a player at Barcelona competing for everything, if not winning it on the pitch. Uh, and, you know, I think he's going to have a rude awakening when the team takes to the pitch for the first time, you know, because it's not anything close to the same uh, Barca that that he left back in 2015. Uh, And there are major, major problems to sift through. I mean, obviously, having been such a maestro in the midfield, he'll be looking at the middle of the park, uh, in particular, you know, trying to get a tune out of uh, guys like Frankie de Jong. But, uh, you know, I think that he'll also be stunned by sort of how workmanlike a a lot of this Barca squad is. And uh, I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park this opening game, especially, you know, given the, the, the Catalan rivalry between them and Espanyol.
2: Yeah, I fully agree. I think there is a rude awakening coming for him just in terms of the quality and selfishly I like Danny Alves there just for what he can do for Sergio Dest in terms of making him a better player and proving him for the, the US men's national team. D- but, d- of- d- but
4: does does Alves coming in mean that Dest is going to stay as an attacker now?
2: I mean, I maybe maybe not. I I just don't see where Danny Alves contributes to this team at at the age that he is. I think the signing him was a si- was part of what was a convenience, you know. I was having conversations with directly with some of his team who were asking can we get him into an MLS squad you know but this is this is his wage demands and there was a number of factors for Danny Alves that it wasn't like his only dream and his only thought was to go back to Barcelona and save the day i don't think he's a player that saves the day anyway And in terms of being a leader i don't think he's the perfect leader in that locker room i think they had a number of other players that were were leaders obviously he's going to know the good times and the bad times and will bring that calming presence but i do like his ability to at least mentor uh, Serginho Dest or Serginho Dest to just watch a guy who's going to play over him and look at what it's like to be a sort of consummate pro. Uh, and by the way, a fun fact for you guys, uh, the 36 times that Xavi played against Barcelona, he won 25 and only lost twice. And it's been 79 years since Espanol have finished higher than Barcelona in the table. And with regards to Sergio Dest, he's obviously coming off an injury. Uh, Danny Alves can't play till January. Sergio Aguero is out. Uh, Ousmane Dembele, Ansu Fadi. They're just dealing with a lot of... Num- uh, of they want to get of rid of, of Luke
1: De Yeah. Young. yeah.
2: Yeah, they're just dealing with a lot of change right now, and so I don't think it's going to be. I think Xavi's the right guy for the job. I think he's going to get it right over time. But stepping into this situation, especially coming off of uh, blowing a three-goal lead to Celta Vigo, losing pr- previously in the lead to to Alaves, uh, it's just it's not an easy win. It's not. It's just not an easy window for him to step into. And I think he's going to quickly realize, like, oh man, this team is not. When I look at the names in the locker room, when I look at them in the stadium, they look big. But when I see them out on the pitch, something doesn't
3: feel right. I mean, I, I think we're all skating around what the real issue with signing Danny Alves is, which is they've given him the number eight shirt. I know <laughs> he
1: said he said it was a tribute, obviously to Iniesta and stuff. And it's like,
3: I mean, uh, I think this that's disgusting. It's immoral. It uh. should be illegal. Um, but luckily, I have between now and January to hunt down every single Danny Alves eight journey and burn them to the ground. <laughs> I mean, I I find Barcelona interesting in that yes, they are a shadow of themselves, and kind of in giving Javi the job, you know you might know you like him, you know, he's a great person and, you know, he did some fantastic work at Al Saad, but, you know, comparing Al Saad to managing Al Saad to managing Barcelona is kind of like comparing managing a, a very nice corner shop to managing a fortune 500 company. Like you know, this is a whole other scale of, you know, of politics of, of of off-field, a very off-field
1: rich corner community. shop. Uh, yes, a, a very shop rich corner area. shop yeah. that
3: stocks the finest ingredients. <laughs> but it is not, you know, it, it, this is not Barcelona. This is not being given the recovery job of some some major global institution. And that that's what he's got. I do think, though, you know, we all agree this Barcelona squad is a, sh- a shadow of the squads that Xavi played in. But it's still one of the three or four best squads in La Liga. And I think if if the the club as a whole, if he can kind of impact the mindset and make sure that Barcelona really understand where they are that they can take their time to rebuild, that they don't kind of do some of the stuff I'm hearing they're trying to do in January, you know, putting in bids for Danny Olmo that will almost certainly get rejected, trying to loan Raheem Sterling when you absolutely can't afford 10% of his wages, let alone all
1: of them. Can't afford his trip to Barcelona. (laughs) Christian Pulisic, Christian
2: Pulisic. Let's take in Christian Pulisic, you know, (laughs) anybody on loan, any any player on loan, you just go, can we take you for a little bit? Just like six months, yeah, we'll we'll buy you in the end, but like yeah,
1: I mean, you know. Pulisic can join Dembella in the training room, I guess. And you know. and then
4: you and then you've got that Aguero situation as well, where they don't know if he's going to play again.
1: Yeah, which is a damn shame. Of course, we wish him the best, but yeah, there's is absolute issue. Go ahead, James Manger. I, I know you wanted to finish with that.
3: Yeah, they just need to take time. They need to actually embrace the rebuild. Mm. It, they need to be thinking in three or four years' time, we'll be competing for the Champions League. We need to they get the don't... finances in order. But they think that it'll be next season. They and think that's... it might even be this season if things go right. That's, that's the That's my problem. point.
1: The three to four-year uh, objective uh, is, is one thing, but getting Champions League in the first place this year is the number one thing. And, you know, when you look at Barcelona and Espanol in terms of record, they're not that far off. Barcelona is ninth, Espanol is 11th, but they have the same points. So anything can, can be given. So, do you not think, though? And I'll go around the the table here, but do you not think that at, at the very least, Camp Now this weekend is going to be absolutely ridiculously loud, energetic, and you don't think that that in itself will hopefully get them a victory, or is it one of those things where after fifteen minutes, zero zero, no shots on target, nothing? You think, oh my god, shabby? Not even shabby can save us there, Heath Pierce.
2: I think they get the result in this one for sure. I just, I, I just continuously look at like, is this, is this just, is it a week to week thing? And are, are they actually? I know it's a week to week thing. And are they embracing it as, as they said, the rebuild of this project, knowing that it's going to be some tough times, or are they going to look at a, a win against Espanol in a derby at home? Javi's first game and everybody's gonna go wow this is this is you know we're back uh and then you create this false expectation of what's gonna come out of these players because we saw that we saw that we saw that spike with with komen and everybody's like okay yeah they might be able to figure this out uh and then it ultimately fell short last season and then this year absolute disaster sense
4: yeah, I do think that Barca probably will get the result this weekend, but I just don't know necessarily if, you know, the, the style will be back. And yeah, sure, I'm, I expect the fans to be behind Xavi. I'd be interested to know how many turn out considering the attendance issues that uh, Barca have been having at Camp now this, mm. uh, this season. Good but, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't doubt that the fans absolutely want Xavi to succeed. But to be perfectly honest, I don't think that this squad's limitations are going to be shown up against Espanyol.
3: Yeah, just stick uh, stick um, a Memphis to Pine in an orange jersey, and you're fine. <laughs>
1: hey, by the way, uh, Ansu Fati was seen uh, out on the town with a Kaiser Chiefs hat. That was pretty cool, James. Man, did you did you see that? That's kind of, yeah, pretty weird. Pretty right? younger than the Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> I think he uh, is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, quick prediction I round we of were, this we game. Jack
3: Grealish there. I thought <laughs> yeah. we going to
1: there. Go on to that topic. <laughs> all right, let's. Right on the time. All right. Uh James Bench, uh quick score prediction. Barcelona, espana Uh
3: yeah. Two nil. I think the, the camp Nou will be bouncing. HP? Yeah. Same thing.
1: JJ. Two one. Yeah, they're conceding a goal. Absolutely. Uh all right. Let's uh let's move on. Des Norris. The rest of La Liga fixtures, by the way, as we look at them, uh Sevilla Deportivo a la vez. By the way, real Sociedad are the leaders of la liga don't you forget it and they face valencia i had a great chat with mikel merino and i really mean that he is great a 30 minute chat uh we could we could have done it in spanish we did it in english very well spoken spoke about Real Sociedad, the spanish national team and everything in between so make sure that you check it out but real sociedad lead this table by the way so that's one thing can they keep going by the way do you do you see some magic here This season Uh, around the table here, Jonathan Johnson, because obviously Barcelona are struggling, but this race for La Liga is very, very tight. Um, How do you see it at least as we head into January?
4: I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely going to have my eyes fixed on Hetafe versus Cardiff this weekend. You uh, look, know, looking pretty, uh, pretty tasty. No, I mean, it, it is intriguing the the, the title race, uh, and I do expect Real Madrid to come on strong. You know, Ancelotti is is settling back into being at Santiago Bernabeu. Uh, you know, I, I'd say that. If I was to be concerned by one of the expected title challenges so far this season, it would be Atletico Madrid. I think they've shown both domestically and continentally, uh, you know, that they have some limitations in their game this season. Uh, so for me, I, I definitely expect the the, the main challenge uh, for Sociedad to, to be coming from Real uh, in the next couple of weeks.
3: I mean, everyone's sort of sleeping on Sevilla. Who that? I think the challenge for us. But they're dreadful in uh, Champions League. Exactly. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Is that <laughs> I don't understand how this team, you know, plays so dreadfully against Lille, but you know, as such consummate performers in La Liga, I almost wonder. You know, have they? Are they just thinking now they'll do the double they really want, which is Europa League and La Liga title? I mean, I think <laughs> they're the they're the team to watch, and for me, they sort of feel. Maybe a little bit more real than uh, than Sociedad, who the goal difference to me suggests that they're maybe a little not not quite at the level of Sevilla and Real. Mm, fair point. Trade. Yeah,
2: my my only uh, thought in, in in that specific matchup for for Sociedad, uh, Mikel Oyarzabal is back, uh, which is a huge boost for them. And there are they're are actually sixteen games unbeaten across all competitions from the first match of the season. So there is a form to them. We saw that same form last year where they started to dip off around this time of year heading into the holidays and into uh, kind of the new year. But they seem a little bit more, uh, kind of a um, a little more of a belief system than than hope and, and luck, similar to how I see AC Milan this season versus last season in Serie A.
1: Yeah, they're a great club, by the way. Uh, they come from a, a great area in Spain. All right, uh, let's move on here. Let's go to Serie A, where you can exclusively watch it on Paramount+. Plus. And CBS Sports, my goodness, the fixtures here are ridiculous. Inter against Napoli. Fiorentina against AC Milan. Lazio, Juventus, Genoa and Roma. Shevchenko returns to Serie. uh, uh, Apparently, according to a producer, 4,572 days after his last match as a player. There's Norris doing the statistic work there, right there, against Mourinho. Anything from Serie A, Let, let's give it some love here because my goodness, some great matches. Where do you want to go, Heath Pierce?
2: I just want to go. I, I, it's amazing to see that Dez counted every single one of those one day at a time <laughs> in, in his calendar <laughs> app and then goes like next month and starts counting. One, Did you do a two. calculator? You think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just one at a time? No, I mean, for me, I'm looking at Nap- Napoli Inter. Uh, this is huge, this is an, a huge game, uh, and especially just for, for title implications. Obviously, we saw Inter Milan uh they failed to win any of their major matches against against the major opponents and if they want to be in that title race this is what one these ones a lot of times we call these games washes because you're like oh yeah well, they need to get their points against everybody else the top 4 whatever uh, can can get their can can give up points but this is actually the reverse uh, at least in my take if they want to be in that title race they have to start getting those points obviously they drew with atalanta juventus ac milan they need to be able to they need to be able to win these games and so it's important uh, to match up with Napoli, who who again, if they want to be uh, in this title race or they or, or or extend that gap, I talk about at least for AC Milan being ten points clear at at, at the new year will I think set the pace for them of of anybody but Napoli. Uh, this is one that Napoli, if they want to keep pace with that and extend from the rest of the group and make it a two horse race, they need to get a result here.
3: Bench? And- Yeah, I mean, for me, intriguing one, Fiorentina, Milan. I mean, we've got uh, Dusan Vlaovic coming back. Obviously, we've seen how fantastically he's done, not just with uh, Fiorentina, but also with with the Serbian national team. I thought they were excellent um, over the international break. But Milan have a really fascinating balancing act to pull here with that that big Champions League fixture coming up uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, It's you know, have they, have they basically given up on that? You know, they need, they need six points to have any hope of getting out of their group. Um, but right now, you know, the title feels like it's there for them at least, or at least a straight fight between them and Napoli. And I do wonder is, is Pioli just going to go full steam ahead, try and win this. It's a, it'd be a crucial game, a big uh, momentum boost. Um, I think he does. And I think he almost sort of tanks the, uh, tanks, the champions league game to, to make sure he's in the hunt for, uh, for the Scudetto long-term.
4: I think it's really, really fascinating coming into this weekend. I mean, you've got the, the, the reunions between some of the coaches and their former teams, Spalletti uh, going back to Inter, Sarri going back to Juventus. But the one that I've got my eye on is Genoa-Roma because Jose Mourinho is in a very, very fragile position at this moment in time. And if Genoa get that new coach bounce with uh, Shevchenko, get the win. Uh, It seems like they've been drawing forever so far this season. Uh, You know, suddenly Mourinho is in a very, very difficult spot, especially when you look at some of the upcoming fixtures for Roma. So, you know, that is going to be the one that really gets the the majority of my attention along with uh, Inter-Napoli. But uh, no, I think that uh, at this moment in time, it doesn't quite feel uh, as positive around Mourinho and Roma as it was when he was happily munching pizza and drinking uh, Coke on the train (laughs) on the way back (laughs) from one of the games earlier this season.
1: And it's going to be really intriguing to see Andrei Shevchenko as a manager for Genoa America, owns Genoa, by the way. Obviously, Genoa have their own uh, situation and what they want to do. They're 17th in Serie A, so they want to climb up that table. But we do have to remember that, my God, this uh, title race crazy because obviously AC Milan won Inter to do them a favor by beating Napoli because if AC Milan beat Fiorentina, AC Milan will go top of the table as well. So there's so many narratives in this one. And again, as I mentioned, don't forget CBS Sports, Paramount Plus for your Serie A action. All right. We are nearly done here, by the way, but we want some concluding thoughts. And I'm going to give the mic to Heath Pierce to begin with the concluding thoughts because there's a lot going on in this side, our side, I guess, uh, in North America, there's a lot of domestic competition happening. Heath Pierce, what do you got for me?
2: Well, NWSL championships on Saturday Washington Ooh. Spirit versus Chicago Red Stars. And, uh, an unexpected run to the final for both of these teams. Uh, also on Paramount just, Plus. Yeah, on Paramount Plus. Uh, and also make sure you check out our sister pod, Attacking Third. They do great stuff. They cover this in way more detail than we ever could. But uh, just two teams that are on, on a run. It reminds me very much of, uh, no disrespect to those teams, but the NBA Finals this year where two teams came, it kind of brought a breath of fresh air uh, to to a league that's generally dominated by, by a couple of teams. So an exciting game for there. And then we got uh, MLS playoffs as well. Earlier on, we just saw we came out of uh, decision day uh, just before the international break coming back now, which I think kind of hurts the momentum of some of the teams that are that are playing in this but you got uh, philly union taking on the red bulls that's a good game in the eastern conference sporting kc against vancouver who snuck in on the last day uh and then sunday nycfc atlanta another team that's kind of been trending upward later on in the season in portland versus minnesota um as well so just uh, overall just a ton of really good stuff here in north america to pay attention to the playoffs are on if you're a fair weather fan or if you're a a uh, soccer light or soccer adjacent fan. This is a good time for you to start tuning in. There might be a team in your market and it might be worth watching.
1: Absolutely. Well done, Heath Pierce. That was like, you were doing a little commercial there. Uh, that's your LAFC uh, stuff going through. By the way, we did a great interview with Gonzalo Pineda. I uh, found United's United's uh, manager speaks uh, highly of the league and everything else. Make sure that you check it out. And by the way, we're going to have a great chat with uh, Carlos Hill. J.J. Aston Villa's own Carlos Hill. We talked to him as well New England Revolution as well uh, as the refs and Bruce Arena look to win MLS Cup finally. Hey, by the way, James Bench, give me your final thoughts, my friend.
3: Yeah, it's an intriguing game going on in the championship between a team that mathematically aren't already relegated. But what are we, 17 games through that season? Derby County, a further points loss for them. They're now on minus three.
1: Brutal, brutal.
3: they would be a lower mid table team um if it weren't for the the 21 points that they've been deducted which is you know very much the fault of their ownership and and so on. Uh they're hosting Bournemouth. I believe the gap between the two teams right now is 43 points after 17 games. But I'm just at least early on I'm really intrigued to see how how this th- these players who who aren't at fault for the points deductions how do they react? when they kind of know this is a season that there's pretty much going to only end up one way they're they're 15 points from safety, the squad, it wasn't one of the best in the championship anyway. So um, I think it's going to be really an odd footballing experiment to see how the team that have basically been doomed to relegation cope over the next few months.
1: Go ahead, JJ. What's your final thoughts?
4: No, uh, e- echoing what James said, uh, I've got a few Derby County supporting mates, so uh, fingers crossed for them that they can somehow you know, try to get some positives over the next couple of months as they prepare for life, uh, probably down in uh, down in League One, hopefully no worse than that. Uh, but in terms of what else is going on in Europe uh, this weekend, I had a great interview earlier today on Thursday uh, with Kevin Babu of uh, Wolfsburg, so you'll be hearing more of that in the build-up to their Champions League match next week. Uh, very, very nice guy, uh, very enjoyable chat, and he was just talking about how things have really changed for the better for Wolfsburg in the last couple of weeks. Of course, they changed coach uh, Florian Kofeld has, uh, has come in now. They've suddenly picked up form in the Bundesliga. Got a very impressive victory over Salzburg as well in the Champions League. So suddenly things looking a bit brighter for the Wolves there. Uh, and then in France, uh, PSG against Nantes on Saturday. Chance for Lionel Messi to finally get off the mark in Liga, 1. Probably won't see Neymar there, uh, given that he picked up a knock on international duty. But all of uh, PSG's thoughts uh, and preparation will really be ahead of next week's massive Champions League clash with Manchester City, you feel.
1: Love it. Love hey, by it. the way,
2: one, one, one other thing, the, the Choctaw Olympique, uh, also in France this weekend, right? Isn't it Leon, Lyon Marseille? Uh, if, if, if you've ever been to one of these matches where they allow, even if they don't allow away fans, pretty wild atmosphere in terms of just uh, the hatred uh, between those teams and just sort of the deeper layers that go into some of these <laughs> rivalries.
4: Yeah, known as known as the Olympico. It's uh, it's it's always one of the the most prestigious uh, matches on the calendar. It is a shame that there won't be any traveling fans, uh, but that seems to be part and parcel of uh, the biggest fixtures in France these days. Unfortunately, Monaco, Lille as well on Friday. If you fancy that,
1: I love it. I love it. Well, my final thought is going to be a really weird one because you you're never going to hear the name Kim Kardashian on this show ever aside from right now. Kim Kardashian, by the way, Andrea Radrizzani leads United. Uh, owner and some other businessmen, uh, you know, they flew members of Afghanistan's women's youth development soccer team to Britain on Thursday, a plane charted by the reality star uh, carrying more than 30 teenage players and their families, about 130 people uh, landing in Stansted Airport in London. I just wanted to mention that because, uh, you know, some of the great off the pitch work that is being done around the world and you know it's 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 kind of weird when you when you hear names like Andrea Radazzani and Kim Kardashian but you know just uh, the fact that we're doing all we can to help those that love the game that treat it with so much passion but unfortunately suffer with so many other things externally uh, I wanted to to give that one a mention but that's it that is our weekend preview thank you so much for being part of the show Heath Pierce thanks man thank you thank you James Bench my
0: pleasure.
1: Your pleasure, JJ. Thanks so much, buddy.
4: Likewise, always a pleasure with you guys.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for being part of our family. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, kegolasopod, youtube.com forward slash kegolasso, CBS Sports, your CBS Sports app, and of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Kegolasso is here almost every single day. Make sure that you keep growing with us. Thank you so much. Have a great, great weekend.